Hi, everybody. Thanks for welcoming us into your homes, and hi to Aldergrove. It's good to see your smiling faces today. We are concerned uh, these days about what's happening in the Ukraine, and we need to particularly pray for Adam and Luba, who are our missionaries there in the Ukraine, that they would have wisdom of uh, when they're supposed to leave their country, uh, how they're supposed to cope during this very strategic time. So right now they're safe uh, when we were recording this, but uh, keep them in prayer, please, as, as we go through these uh, very challenging times in, uh, in history as this tension is, is uh, so uh, uh, prevalent in that part of the world. Well, we're continuing on our series on you in five years. We're imagining that God is at work in our lives and he's transforming us. And, and today we're going to continue our deep dive into the book of Romans. And particularly, we're looking at chapter 8, verses 28 to 30. You, a transformed life. Well, what does a mature follower of Jesus look like? Have, have you ever thought about that? Maybe you've had someone from, from your past or someone that you know, and you, and you see them and you say, yeah, you know, I think that person really represents what it means to be a mature follower of Jesus. And I'm, I'm talking about in terms of behavior and attitude and their relationships and faith, hope and love, you know, the, the hallmarks of, of what it would mean to be a mature follower of Jesus. I, I think it's important to have an image in mind of what it means to be mature, uh, what it means to uh, grow up and to, to become the kind of followers of, of, followers of Jesus that, uh, that we really should be. You know, if you're going to build a house, it would be helpful to have a set of plans beforehand, and otherwise your activities may, may end up creating uh, something which may uh, not look at all like you, you would hope for. And in the same way, we need to have in our minds an image of what it means to be a mature follower of Jesus. And our text helps us with that, verses 28 to 30. It paints a picture for us of a transformed life. And it begins with something we know. Let me read it to you. Verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Let's pray. So, Father, we, we come to you today and we ask you to help us. Help us to become mature followers of Jesus, to live transformed lives. Help us to understand what that means. Help us to have an image in mind that, that we are working towards so that we can work in that direction is with your Holy Spirit's guidance and help and empowerment. Thank you for your word. Thank you that, that it uh, sinks deep into our lives. And, and not only does it inform us, it transforms us. In your name we pray. Amen. So in our text, the Apostle Paul tells us that he knows something about Christian experience. He knows. He doesn't just hope this to be true. He knows it. He is absolutely sure of it. And he expects us as well to know the same thing. Did you catch that? He says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good. Now, he's seen this in his own life, and he's seen this in the life of his friends. Now, this is not someone who hasn't had a lot of life experiences. Paul has been through the ringer. He has experienced the, the good, the bad, and the ugly in life. He, he is, he's been a horrible person. 
He's been a murderer. He's arrested Christians and taken them to prison, and they've been, in, they've been put to death. And at the same time, he's been an outspoken spokesperson for the gospel, and he has preached in some of the, the, the most challenging environments imaginable. And he's been tortured. He's been persecuted because of it. And yet he could say with confidence that he knows. He knows that in all things, God works for the good. That's pretty amazing. And, and, and he expects us to know the same thing. He expects us, our Christian experience, our um, life experience in, as followers of Jesus to, to really affirm this knowledge that we know. We know. We, we've had experiences in our lives and we didn't understand them, but we have come to understand and know that God is at work no matter what. This is, this is really a universal truth or a fundamental truth of Christian experience. God is at work in our lives bringing out the good. It says in our, in our text, and, and it's important to keep this in mind, that God is the subject of the sentence. It's not all things. All things are not the subject of the sentence. And sometimes we misquote this scripture verse. And, and I'm perhaps as guilty as anybody else to misquote this passage of scripture and make it say not what Paul is saying. We sometimes say all things work together for good. Actually, Paul's not saying that at all. All things on their own work toward chaos. It is God who works all things for the good. You see, God is the subject of the sentence, not all things. Remember, God is always at work moving chaos into order. We, we looked at this in our series on work. And if you want to go back and look at our YouTube and you could find that series. But what we discovered that, that God's work is to bring order out of chaos. And our work, no matter what our jobs are, is to bring order from chaos. And so we know that God takes the chaotic things of our lives, the messy circumstances of our lives, the all things of our lives, and he moves them towards order and towards good. But it's God at work. It's not all things. All things by themselves just end up being chaotic. People who don't follow Jesus, people who don't love him, people who are not called according to his purpose, do not have this same promise as those who are the beloved of God. The good now is not defined here, uh, and, and notice that. Remember, God defines good and evil, and in our first sentence here of the text, verse 28, Paul isn't defining for us what the good is, and it, he leaves us to wonder, well, what good is God working in our lives? Well, what does that really look like? God defines good and evil, and this goes back, of course, to the Garden of Eden and the temptation that the serpent used on Adam and Eve. He told them that they would become like God if they took of the forbidden fruit, and they would know good from evil. Well, of course, that was an empty promise. They, humankind does not know good from evil. In fact, many times we think things are good when they're really evil, and we think things are evil when they're really good. It's God who decides what's good and what's evil. And, and in fact, the Bible illustrates this with nearly every story. When you go start in the book of Genesis and you go to, all the way to the book of Revelation, time and time and time and time again, the same theme is illustrated. It, it starts with, oh no, this is horrible. And it ends with, oh, 
That's what God was up to. This story was maybe about Moses. The story was maybe about Joseph. The story was maybe about Nehemiah. The story was maybe about uh, King David. The story, and of course, it's all illustrated and, 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 and brought home in the story of Jesus. Oh, no, he's dying. It's over. And then it's, oh, that's what God was doing. God rose him from the dead. He's alive. And so the, the gospel story is really, an, uh, and, and the, in fact, the whole of Scripture is really an illustration of this point. God knows good from evil, and he works toward good in our lives. The promise is for those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Now beware, haters and the oblivious are on their own. There's no such promise to them. If you do not love God, if you're oblivious to God's plan, God's calling, then you are not promised that all things are working towards good in your life. But his children, those who have been called, those who have become adopted, we talked about this previously, into his family, they're moving towards a predetermined destination. So what is this purpose? What is this good to which the beloved are called. And, and that's the key idea of the text, that God is calling us towards a certain purpose, towards a certain end, towards a certain good. Well, this is described for us in verses 29 and 30. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. You see, our text here is saying is that those God foreknew, he knew who would love him. He knew beforehand who would come to him. Now, this does not imply that he forces us. You can still have free will, and God could know what you are about to do. Just because he knows, it doesn't mean he forces the issue. And so this is something that is a characteristic of God, that he foreknows the truth. And, and when you think of it this way, uh, humankind, we can uh, pretend, we can think that we foreknow know things, but it's not all true. I could say, you know, I know you're going to be in church next Sunday. Well, you may or may not be, and uh, the fact that you may not come would prove me not to be God. But uh, my knowing in no way forces you to Become that. You choose on your own. In the same way, God's foreknowledge does not force us to do anything. It's just that he knows accurately from the beginning of time how we will, we will respond. He also, it says, predestines us to be conformed to the image of son. So those who he foreknows, knows, those who choose out of their own free will to come and follow him will be predestined to become conformed to the image of his dear son. In other words, those who love God are going to be on a track, on a pathway. From the beginning of time, he had this in mind. From the story of creation until the story of our redemption and the story of the end of all things and heaven and the end, end times, God has a pathway for humankind. He's had this in mind from the beginning. From the beginning of time, he's chosen to transform people into the image of his dear son, Jesus Christ. This is what it's about. This is the good. This is the intent. This is the purpose of God, to transform people into being like his son, Jesus Christ, the sons and daughters of God. 
we are being transformed then into the image of his son. To, well, you think about it in terms of to walk like him, to talk like him, to love like him. But most of all, I think, to be motivated like him. You know, when you really think about it, the most important aspect of, of this transforming character of, of Jesus or the Holy Spirit at work in us is not just to change our outward behavior or outward circumstances, but to change our desires, our motivations. You see, we'll never really act like Jesus until we begin to feel like Jesus. Because you and I both know, we often don't act out of what we know, we act out of our feelings. And, and that's illustrated in, in, in my life uh, multiple times when, when I know the things to eat that are good for me and that are bad for me, but I will tend to eat the things that I feel like eating. And so we know that feelings are incredibly strong motivators in our lives. And, and what we need to pray and what we need to understand is that God's work in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and by the way, the context of this passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 8, where he's just been talking about the Holy Spirit interceding for us and the Holy Spirit at work in us, would lead us to believe that when it's referring to God doing this, it's really referring to God the Holy Spirit is at work in us in this transformation process. So the Holy Spirit in us can not only change the way we act, but he changes the way we act by changing the way we feel and the things that motivate us. This is the Holy Spirit's work in us. Well, since God has decided to make us like Jesus, this passage goes on to say in verse 30 that he calls us, he establishes us, he establishes he stays with us until the end, until it's complete. He completes what he has begun. So then life is no longer a messy series of meaningless events. They make sense. God is at work in us, producing this good. If I choose to love God and serve him, he will make something beautiful out of all the things in my life. I had a great uncle who used to come and, and babysit us when I was a when I was a kid in our family when when my mom and dad were away or perhaps when my uh, mom was ill, and uh, he had been a chef at uh, one of those uh, big hotels on the uh, Canadian National Railway line, the the Shadow Frontenac and the and and the Shadow uh, uh, Ottawa and different places all over Canada. And uh, he was an amazing chef. He would throw, he never used a measuring cup. He'd just throw things together with his hands. But when he came to visit us, he would go through our fridge and he would take all the leftovers, all the stuff that was just sitting in the fridge. He'd take these, these very strange ingredients and he'd put them all together and he'd make a wonderful meal out of all the stuff. And, and I think there's a, there's a show on television, a cooking show on sh television, which is very similar, where, where the chefs are given these very strange ingredients and they're asked to make a meal. And the really good chefs make these incredible meals from, from these very strange ingredients that they, they, they pick up that just seem to be random. Well, this is what God does in our lives. If we choose to love him and we choose to serve him because we're called according to his purpose, he takes all the bits and pieces of our lives and he puts them together and he, and he makes something wonderful out of it. And this image that he creates in us, this, this, this transformation that he does, this good is his son's likeness, his son's image. We make, he makes us like Jesus. His plan all along the way has been to create a family, 
of sons and daughters. His end game is to get you from here, wherever you are, to there, to being like Christ. If we're to realize this, if we are to experience this, we must cooperate with his plan, the good plan of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Let's pray to that end. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Help us to know that you are at work in us. And and, and even the strange things that happen in our lives, even the things that appear to be random, the bad things, the good things, no matter what, you take these things and you somehow bring them together so that it helps us to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Help us to cooperate with that transformation. Help us to keep that in mind when, when things happen to us and, and we don't understand and we're perhaps, perhaps there are bad things that happen to us. And help us to keep in mind that you're at work and that you are, because you're God, you're able to transform these things into transforming us. So thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for your good work in us. Help us to cooperate with us. Help us to realize that it's happening and help us to be thankful that you are always at work and that these things that happen in our lives are not just messy circumstances that are random, but you have a way of working all things together for good. We praise your name for that. Amen. I have a question for you and uh, I'd like you to contemplate this question over the next couple of minutes. We'll play some music in the background and uh, think about this. What things in your life are God using to move you toward Christ-likeness? What are the things that are going on in your life right now that, that God might be using to move you towards that image, that likeness of Christ? Think about that for a few moments, and I'll come back with a concluding comment. When we get to heaven, I think we're going to hear the word hallelujah quite a bit. Book of Revelation chapter 19 verse 1 to 6 repeats over and over again that the people will be singing hallelujah. Hallelujah is a Aramaic or a Hebrew word which means praise to God. The end of hallelujah, the Yah part, is just an abbreviated Yahweh, which is one of the names for God. And the hallelujah means praise, praise to God. It's actually two words in the original language. And from my understanding, just about every language, just about every ethnic group in the world 
uh, uses this word hallelujah. And so it will be an exclamation that we hear often in heaven, praise to God. I think there's going to be other exclamations that we hear in heaven, other, other words of praise. I think there's going to be lots of, why didn't I see that? When Jesus allows us to review our lives and to look back at how he has shaped us, I think there's going to be a lot of, really? That's what got, was going on in my life? I didn't get that at all. But God somehow made it good. Wow, you did work all things for good in my life. Well, I think that we can make those kinds of exclamations today as well in our worship, in our praise, in our prayer life. Not only should we say hallelujah to God, praise be to God, but we should thank him that he works in all things for the good. God bless you. Have a great week. Our doxology is to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.